morning, Bridges family. Lots to take joy in. We're going to get into the book of Philippians. If you turn your Bible open there, the book of Philippians, if you don't know how to get there or um, navigate your way around the Bible, there's Bibles provided for you right in front of you. And uh, you're going to want to turn to page 980, thereabouts. That's the beginning of the letter. We're going to be weaving our way through the text and looking at this really great theme. And although Pastor Nate said that, um, you know, our joy isn't found in the trivial things, the things that are passing, which is absolutely true. We're going to talk about kind of where it is centered squarely. There is, you know, those circumstances in life that do bring us joy, like today, which is Pastor Fred's birthday. So make sure that you... Give Fred lots of hugs and um, other things. Does he have a wish list? No, it's just good. It's just good right now. But if there's other things you can supply to him, just love on him if you would. Great. Happy birthday, Fred. Yeah. Okay. So good morning. And we're in this really wonderful text. If you would, as we begin, um, open up and you've been given a bulletin. There's space in the notes for you to address a question. It's a challenging question. I want you to kind of write your answer first as you think just briefly about it. This is what first thing that comes to your mind. And then we're going to work our way through the text of Scripture and have it hopefully deepen and enrich in our perspective about the question in mind that we're going to share together. And it's simply this. What do you want your greatest life accomplishment to be? Or to phrase it another way right here. You got that, please? Okay. Um, So let me just give it to you. Again, what do you want your greatest life accomplishment to be, or what would it be? What would it look like? What do you dream of your greatest life accomplishment being? Okay, so go ahead and take some time to process that. First impressions, maybe there's something that you're just, oh man, this is what I'd really love to accomplish with who I am, and people look back at me and say, yeah. he was the greatest Awana leader of all time. You know, or whatever it might be. Greatest engineer, doctor. Gas station attendant. Whatever it might be. Now for some perspective. Over the last 2,000 years... Millions of believers have fallen in love with this book, this book of Philippians. And there are some, some really good, solid reasons why it's so rich and life-altering in terms of our perspective. It's just such, it's full of this really deep, great joy in the middle of Paul writing it in really difficult circumstances. And um, we're hoping as we go through this series that you'll come to love it as well if you haven't yet already. And um, some of the ways that we study Scripture are verse by verse. We'll just go through verse by verse and look at the text and think about the flow of what's being said and just get it deep into our skin. And this series, we're doing it a little bit differently. We're taking some of the great themes in this book. And the greatest theme um, being this, how is it that a person, a Christ follower, finds joy in the middle of all things, in the middle of life? How do you find joy? And thinking about how Paul uses particular themes that feed into that. How is it that we live lives of joy? And last week, if you were with us, you know, Pastor um, uh, Ray was here and he was teaching us really 
in great ways about how our identity connects with that place of joy. And he gave you a couple homework assignments. Do you remember what they were? It's okay. I'll, I'll refresh the memory here. Um, first is to read through the book of Philippians. So it'll take you between 10 minutes and half an hour or an hour, depending on how long or how slow you read and how much you digest as you read. But we're just encouraging you to take the time this week to read through it. So Pastor Ray was encouraging you last week to do that. I'm going to encourage you again, if you haven't had the opportunity, to read through again. And every week we go through the series, we're asking you just to go through it again, to get it inside of you, in your heart, in your mind. Let it seep in there and see the great truths because you'll miss a lot the first time through. And you might want to think about reading it in different versions, but just take some time in the space of your busy week and read through the book. The second thing Pastor Ray encourages us with was make sure that you take the time to list five joys or five godly joys in your life, five reasons why God has given you joy. So if you did that, that's fantastic. If you haven't got to it yet, this would be a good time to get to it, right, today, to think about what are those places that God has brought joy into your life. Now, you might be in the middle of discouragement and disappointment and frustration. Uh, Maybe work is really difficult right now, or maybe family life things are going on. I'd still like you to step back and think about what produces joy for you. So in the scripture, in God's word, it teaches us that who God is, how he has made us to be, and what he is doing in our life currently, those are joy producers. Isn't this wonderful news? That he is not done yet with the person sitting next to you. Isn't that great news? And I saw some of those wives look at the husbands. Isn't it great news that he is not done with you and with me? He is still at work, according to Philippians, for his good pleasure, doing what he needs to do for me to grow through my weaknesses, through the struggles. Every one of us, he is, if we're Christ followers, at work in. So last week, we began our study in Philippians, thinking about how our identity affects the joy in our lives. And in particular, he was pointing out the foundational source, Pastor Ray was pointing out foundational sources for our joy in our identity. And Philippians begins his book by stressing, underlying two things. First, that we are, for follower of Jesus, we are a servant of Christ. We are a slave of Christ. And even as you hear those words, you might be thinking, wait a second. How is that possibly a joyful thing? to be a slave or a servant. So you need to understand that Christian servanthood is uniquely distinctive. It's different. We serve one who has our absolute best interest in mind. We serve one who has given us great purpose, eternal purpose. We serve one who protects us, who loves us, who treats us kindly. We serve one who would never abuse us or take advantage of us. We serve the one worth serving, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. And knowing that as part of our identity, that we can be confident that he has our best in mind and he is still working on our behalf, that's 
a point of joy for us. And then um, Ray mentioned that we're also saints because that's how Paul begins his letter, helping us identify that that's who we are as Christ followers in him. And he gave that really great word picture, do you remember this? Of sitting in a church and looking at these stained glass windows that were great, and they had these saints up on their stained glass windows, and he was thinking, man, what would it take to be like up there, to be like in a stained glass window of me? <laughs> what would it take? Well, saints, like they're distinctively holy, aren't they? People recognize them as holy people. And they also recognize that they have made some impressive contribution with their lives, some accomplishment with their lives. Here's the truth. That's God's intention for you and for me. To be distinctively holy. Not my own holiness, my own righteousness. It's his righteousness that he lives out and pours out in me and through me. And He wants to make an eternal accomplishment or difference in my life. So the message of Philippians stresses my identity, which is going to connect to the theme we're talking about this morning, and that is our accomplishments, what we're accomplishing with our life. You know, in the course of human history, there have been all kinds of people, impressive people, who have accomplished great things. And if you go online or if you read your textbooks or um, have conversations with people who grab a, a grasp of the course of human history, there have been people who stand out, right, with their accomplishments. There have been explorers like Marco Polo and Vasco da Gama and Christopher Columbus and Sacagawea, I like that name, and Amelia Earhart, who expanded our horizons with their explorations. And there have been Great musicians like Beethoven and Mozart and Bach and Clara Schumann and Jacqueline Dupree, who took music to new heights. Jefferson, he penned the Declaration of Human Rights, but took Lincoln and Wilberforce and Stowe and Susan B. Anthony to help us work that out in our society, in our culture, to make rights real. And then Watson and Church and Suzuki and McClintock have opened the doors to genetic research. All these fantastic accomplishments. And then there were the inventors, Archimedes and Edison and Tesla and Marie Curie and Shirley Jackson. And one of my favorites, Nancy Johnson. You know what she invented? The ice cream maker. What a great invention, right? (laughs) And, of course, da Vinci, who invented things that people had no idea what they were for several hundred years. He was so far ahead of the curve. Da Vinci once observed, It had long since come to my attention that people of accomplishment rarely sat back and let things happen to them. They went out and happened to things. Isn't that a great perspective? Accomplishers do significant things. And when we look at all these accomplishments of all these people, it gets pretty humbling. How could I possibly do something on that scale? How could I make my life matter in significant ways? What will my life accomplish? The Apostle Paul is, I believe, a dangerous teacher and discipler of people. 
he often messes with our assumptions and our comfort zones. And he does that in the book of Philippians. Here's one way. Philippians chapter 1. Look at verse 20 and 21. It has a statement in there that is well known to Christians. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Have you ever thought about that phrase, to live is Christ and to die is gain? My greatest accomplishment is to live for Christ. And that's because, according to God's word, accomplishment starts and ends with honoring Jesus. Accomplishment starts and ends with honoring Jesus. That was everything to Paul. If you could have a conversation with him or if you observed his actions, he was achieving great things by honoring Jesus and not himself. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what Paul is compelling you to do in the book of Philippians. This is what God made you for. This is what brings lasting real joy to you. But it's challenging to live out, isn't it? To honor Jesus and all that I am and all that I'm becoming. Paul's message here forces us to examine ourselves. How is God presently being honored in your life? This past week, how was God honored in you? It's difficult to think about. Could you declare with Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die, it's gain. Now, Paul has already given us some insight in the letter about how this happens in our lives. He gets practical by praying it out. So, look at the prayer just a few verses before that passage we just read in verse 20, starting in verse 9. Verse 9, chapter 1, says this. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And that's, that's a comment that's packed with truth, isn't it? Paul's using this letter, the, the letter of Philippians, to make disciples, followers of Jesus, to speak into their life, to help them appreciate what really matters most, what at the end of the day should be accomplished in and through their life. And specifically, he calls them out in a prayer, praying these things over them. First, that they would experience and practice a maturing love and a greater holiness and real fruit or accomplishment. And he challenges them to this kind of growth, knowing that these priorities produce great joy for us. And the Christian experience maturing love and holiness, when they're worked out in our lives, then God is honored and real fruit is produced. But there is no accomplishment outside of your growing and maturing in love and holiness and understanding how to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and growing in that and loving people, loving the church, 
loving people who don't know the Lord, and then developing in your personal holiness, your walk with the Lord. These things are significant, and there won't be fruit without them. And these things bring praise and glory to God when righteousness is produced in my life. Now, here is an essential thing to get in your heart and mind when we think about this, because it can be a little overwhelming, can't it? Maturing love, greater holiness, and real fruit are entirely a work of God. They're not your work. You can't produce those things in your life. God produces them in you as you yield to him. And that's because your identity is firmly anchored in Christ's accomplishment, which we just celebrated here in communion. And it's not your accomplishments. It's his. And our accomplishments are a product of his strength, not yours. His performance, not yours. His victory, not yours. And next time you get a fat head about how mature you are in Jesus, remember, this is his work. It's not about you. It's about what he's doing. So Paul prays this work out over believers. And it is a prayer that we should engage in with each other, for each other, for the cause of Christ. So, to give you a model of how that works, I want to pray that over someone. I'm just going to randomly, and because you sat close, I'm going to pick on you here. This is my brother Reuben. Hey, friend. And I'm just going to pray for you, okay? So, Father, I I praise you for my friend Reuben. And I pray, Lord, that you would move him and develop him by your spirit. I know that he loves you. I know he wants to follow you. I pray that, that you would mature his love for the sake of his family, for the sake of those he's influencing. Lord, for your praise and your glory, mature him in his ability to love and for your love to pour out of him. God, there's people that he's going to run into this week that need the love of Christ, and I pray that you would be so maturing him that that just pours out of him. And Father, I pray for his holiness. There's going to be all kinds of opportunities this week for him to compromise. I protect him from that, circle him with other brothers that would speak into his life, help him to dive into your word and have an allegiance to you where he would be holy. He would grab hold of your holiness working on his life, and I pray you would mature him in this. And God, because of what you're doing in his character and his life, I pray you produce real fruit, Lord, people that would be influenced for the kingdom who would come to know and follow, love you with all their hearts. God, we pray this for your praise and your glory. God, be at work in Reuben for your sake. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now that prayer... It's a prayer we engage in with each other. I don't, I don't know how you're operating in your life, but Paul's courageous challenge to us is to have those kinds of spaces, those kinds of moments where we're praying that out, those things out so that people grow in Christ and they get clarity about what God is going to accomplish. Now let's dive a little deeper into this great theme of accomplishment. Philippians chapter 3. Another great window into Paul's perspective about what God is doing. Paul says this, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Here's the context of his statement. He has just listed a lot of things that he had done before he met Jesus. Before Christ grabbed hold of his life and changed him. So he says, whatever I had before, that was loss. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, not his own works or his own accomplishment, but his faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Before he came to faith in Christ, Paul had this really impressive resume. He had gone to the best schools. He was a great communicator and leader of people, an influencer in his culture. He was respected and looked up to, and he was on the fast track. But he was in the thick of doing things that sucked the joy out of our life because he was living for the approval and the acceptance of other people. And the acceptance even of God, not realizing that he was loved by God and we don't earn God's love and his acceptance. And then meeting Jesus changed everything in his life and gave him perspective. And he stepped off the treadmill of trying to meet other people's expectations and all the commands and the law. And God poured joy into his life. He's writing this from prison. And everything had been taken away from him. And yet he can still say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And all this other stuff was rubbish. It didn't mount to a hill of beans. All the things I was chasing after, all the things our culture compels us to chase, chase after, a greater house, a bigger bank account, more titles on our name, better grades at school. That wasn't the greatest accomplishment. It was honoring Jesus that mattered to Paul the most and what he sells out for. And that's why Paul could passionately be committed for people to understand that this was a priority for him. Paul took thoughtful inventory of his accomplishments and measured them against the accomplishment of knowing Jesus And found that the credentials and the accolades that he once pursued, it didn't mount to anything but rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. To knowing Christ, his Lord, intimately, deeply, and well. Could you say the same thing this morning? Could you you honestly say, that's what really matters to me, knowing Christ No one I know sets out to accomplish wholly selfish things. You work hard at your job or education because you believe in what you're doing and what you're involved in. And Paul did too before he met Christ. And then he he had this life change, a heart change for him. And he realized that that all that stuff in comparison was rubbish. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And it wasn't a theoretical statement for Paul. He had lost all his material possessions. He had lost his reputation. 
He had lost relationship with family members. He had lost everything. He's sitting in this dank cell and he is full of joy because of what he has gained. It's crazy, isn't it? He has perspective about what matters most in his life. It was totally worth the change for Paul because by faith he now knew God. And he knew that he was God's. He didn't have to seek God's approval. He was loved by him. He didn't have to lug around guilt or shame. He was accepted by him, forgiven and loved. And not only this, he was experiencing the present power of the resurrection through the risen Christ Jesus who was working through him. But what does that mean for us? Recall again with me where Paul had journeyed. He was in this position of power and prestige and all kinds of people looked up to him and he had physical power over people that he was persecuting and now he was in prison, a target of persecution and yet the power of the resurrection had given him a power and a joy that had been absent in his former life and he wouldn't trade anything for that. What's the worst that could happen to him now, he thought. I'm gonna go and be with Jesus right away. That's the worst that could happen to me. I'll risk anything. God has given me perspective. And not only this, Paul was witnessing in the most amazing setting, God do great work, produce real lasting fruit in his life. In the most unlikely of settings, he gets thrown into this horrible prison setting. And all of a sudden, in chapter one, we discover, God starts bringing unlikely people to faith in Christ. He starts making disciples where he's at with the jailer, with other prisoners, even with the palace guard, these influential people. And he realizes God can use me anywhere. God can do stuff in my life regardless, in my weakest place, in in the hardest circumstance. God loves to use me. And that produced joy in his life. This is fantastic. It gave him great perspective. I want you to know, brothers, he writes in chapter one, what has happened to me, has really served to advance the gospel. It's verse 12, verse 13. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. People outside of prison saw what was happening in Paul and they started speaking boldly and making disciples. And people caught the vision. And when that happened, it produced great joy in Paul because he saw other people walking with Jesus and becoming more bold for their faith. Isn't that a great life accomplishment to think about? Now, I want you to go back to your statement that you wrote. I want you to consider it deeply right now. What would your greatest life accomplishment look like? Take a second. And rethink the passages a little bit. What would that that look like for you? Paul writes from this prison cell these powerful words in chapter 4. Chapter 4, starting in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do you understand the perspective now of how Paul writes those words? That his joy is found in the Lord, and he can pass that on with integrity to other people to say, rejoice regardless of your circumstances. Don't freak out, be overly anxious about things. Have perspective and enjoy the peace of God in all things and let it guard you. What a freeing, joy-filled way to live. He's trapped, you think, in this prison cell, but he's really free, isn't he? He's living this life of joy. So, how do we live that way? How do you make certain your greatest accomplishments are ones that really matter and are eternal? One more passage. Paul says this in chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. There's that powerful identity statement. He has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of, Christ, of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. Press on with confidence in whose you are, he's saying. You belong to the Lord. You are a servant of his. You are a saint. That's your identity and who you are. So take confidence in your God-given identity with this humble sense that God is not done with you yet. You've got all kinds of weak spots, all kinds of places you still have to grow. But praise God, he's still at work in you. Take confidence and joy in that this week. Regardless of what happens to you, take joy in that. And keep the greatest accomplishment in life in focus. That's what Paul calls in that final text in verse 14, 314, the upward call of Jesus Christ. That is honoring Christ with your life in all things. We live for his honor. And when we live for his honor, he blesses us with the fruit of righteousness, the lasting product of of great accomplishment, his great accomplishment in our life and the eternal effect that that can have in you and through you. I recently ran a race with my family and um, after the race, my son who was, my youngest son who was running too, he uh, checked out the booths that are around giving out free gear and stuff and he grabbed this really great fruit drink that had all these great nutrients and additives you're supposed to drink afterwards and I'm racing um, to, to get to the next place I've got to get to. I've got him in the back, and I'm, I'm really thirsty. And um, I realize, discover that the older I get, the more I need that nourishment, you know, after I really spin myself. And, and I, I said, can I have a little of that, you know? And I grabbed some, and oh, man, it was so refreshing. That's exactly how the joy of the Lord is supposed to be to us in our depleted places. When we live for the honor of God, it refreshes us. It releases us from whatever prison we're in or whatever place of discouragement or whatever place of just being spent and just nourishes us 
when we get this right. So I'm encouraging you to get it right this week to read once more through the book of Philippians and let it nourish you. And this week, think again about that phrase we've been working on. The greatest accomplishment of your life, what is it? What do you want it to be? What does the Lord God of heaven and earth who created you, what does he want that to be? Next week, we're going to be addressing the topic of joy in the midst of suffering and hardship. I think it'll speak truth and encouragement to you, so I encourage you back. One final note. If you're a person who came this morning and you don't have a living, healthy relationship with God, some of this stuff might have seemed very foreign to you. I want to encourage you to step into a relationship with him, to experience his love and acceptance and forgiveness and a change of identity and a change of what really matters to you. And you can do that as you simply get honest with God and you turn your life to him. You accept what he's done for you, his shed blood, broken body on a cross, dying for you and rising again from the dead to give you life and purpose and meaning and simply, honestly confess your sin and seek his forgiveness and wholeness and lay your life before him and say, Lord, I want new life in you. If you want that, simply enter a conversation. Talk to a friend who invited you about that. Come and meet with somebody right afterwards to pray. There'll be people here who would love to pray with you and talk with you. And let me encourage us all with this great truth that we live for the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that brings great joy to us. Let me pray if I might please with you. Father, thank you for this good day, this good word to us this great work that you're doing even presently in our lives to accomplish things for your honor and glory that are beyond ourselves, even using our weaknesses for your glory. And we pray you would do that through your church, through us individually, Lord, and in your people corporately around this world so people would know the refreshing goodness of a relationship with God so that we might know you. Pray these things in Christ's name and for his glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.